5 in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Good morning and a very warm welcome to 5 in the eye, the show that dissects the news of the week every Friday on Colourful Radio. This is Phil Whitford in London and you're listening to episode 0378. And this is me, Michael O'Hajuru, joining Phil via Zoom and revealing that our top story is going to be the future of the Tory party. As the Conservative conference drew to a close this week, it's hard to imagine a greater degree of disarray. Where did they go from here? Five in the eye. And for our second story, we catch, on the late, catch up on the latest in the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine. After Vladimir Putin annexed contested regions and claimed them as being part of Russia forever. Uh, on the ground, however, the Kremlin's forces are being pushed back. Where does this terrible conflict go next? And what's our third story this week? Well, Bloomberg was reporting that the most useful passports to have are those from Japan, South Korea and Singapore. What happened today is when Her Majesty's passport was the one that opened doors. Story number four this week is the cryptocurrency uh, entrepreneur who destroyed a $10 million drawing in a bid to sell what are known as NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Michael will explain everything. (laughs) No, we'll try. And to wrap up the show this week, we report on some very fishy goings-on in America, where anglers are adding lead weights to their catches to win prizes. Something else for you to carp on about, Michael. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. We have to kick off this show this week with the Tory party. What is going on there? The fact that we've had 12 years of the Tory government and they're still fighting for attention and fighting to make a difference. It seems extraordinary. Now, now in some ways, they seem to come back to the fundamentals, to the party they really are. They're a party about, about growth, which is good. party about low taxes, which is good. But also the party that, 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 that that's cutting back on public expenditure. And the, the phrase that come across that cut across me this week, Phil, was they're going to get an iron grip on public expenditure. I thought you saw an iron grip. That was a flashback to the days of austerity when we've got to get control of our public expenditure. And it it kind of it resonates with that, that Brexit thing, taking back control. And the Tories, they seem obsessed about control, but trying to get control and never quite getting there. They're almost an aspirational party. And the thing that really distresses me about where they are right now, Phil, we've been here before, but we haven't got all the right people in place. We've got a rarefied cabinet with no opposition to trust. They're all her people, just like Johnson's cabinet was all his people, at least May's cabinet. They had some dissent in there. Which, is t- which good cabinets over the centuries have had dissent within them. You know, that, that broad church, that coalition that, that, that makes makes for successful cabinet government. And I feel that they've distilled themselves into a monolith, to a group of thinker-likes, actor-likes, and, which is very good for them. But what about us? Are we going to go along with their idea of this low tax, go for growth? Phil, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I, I've, I've heard it all before, 12 years, you know, I don't hear any more from this Tory party. They should go away and sort themselves out and leave, and, and leave the ground ready for the, leave the ground for the, for Labour. 
Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. That's the only way to go. I, I do believe the time is now up for the Tories. And, and uh, I think they will now go at the next election. The only question is whether they implode um, so much that somehow or other an election is brought about before uh, when it, you know, the, before the ultimate deadline, which is actually at the end of 2024 going to 2025. If they can string it out that long, uh, God help us all, because um, they're in absolute disarray and they've got really nothing to offer. One thing that's really interesting since the disastrous um, mini budget uh, that was actually a major budget introduced by Kwasi Kwarteng and all the subsequent issues that we discussed last week, the polls have turned decisively against the Tories. I mean, we're talking about Labour having 25-point leads, 30-point leads. There was one poll that had Labour 33% ahead of the Tories. To put that in context... That Jeremy Corbyn didn't achieve 33% of the vote in uh, the 2019 election. So Labour is further ahead of the Tories now than Corbyn managed to get in total in 2019. So these are astonishing figures. I don't think there's any coming back from this. I really don't. Um, they, they're looking now at Liz Truss and thinking, oh, my God. She sold us a pup, hasn't she? I mean, she promised to come in and be some kind of breath of fresh air. And actually, she's gone off on some weird ideological crusade. She's messed up within a month of taking office. And now they're faced with a nightmare prospect of do they stick with her and lose incredibly badly? Or do they go for yet another leadership election? So we're not talking about weird ideological crusade. You know, you've got to hand it to her. She's being consistent. We're going to cut taxes. We're going to go for growth. And the challenge we have, though, when she starts cutting taxes for the richest people on the planet, and then she's, she's opening the doors for the um, for these uh, the bankers to earn more, it says it, it, one has to say, "Well, what about me? What about what about my mortgage? You know, what about the cost of living? What about a pint of milk is now a pound?" When you live well, a couple of weeks ago, it was, it was 85 pence. Mm. What's she doing about that? I think what they've done, and I think it goes back to what Modded May talk about, the nasty party. Yeah. You know, they come to themselves. Now, let me be, let me be up front with you, Phil. There's nothing wrong in going for growth. But you've got to bring people with you. And not, not just your own people. It's called... Democracy, it's a you've got to make a coalition, a grand coalition. She talks sell the vision. And I'm sorry, Phil, she's not sold anything. She, if, if, if in fact she's done the opposite. But they're, they're you know, my way or the highway. Their method of supposedly, you know, promoting growth is tax cuts for the wealthy, bigger bonuses for the bankers. But meanwhile, people on universal credit worried that. Their benefits are not going to go up by the rate of inflation. Um, you know, we, we, we've got a party that clearly only cares about the wealthy, um, is disregarding the state of poverty that exists in this country. Um, and they claim that growth is going to lift us all. This is the world of so-called trickle-down economics, isn't it? It's the idea that if the rich get richer, some of their uh, some of their riches are going to find their way down to the likes of you and me. And we know this is nonsense, don't we? 
not that I'm used to uh, promoting other st- other shows, but um, Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart have a great podcast called "The Rest of The Rest Is Politics," and they were talking about this like this trickle down stuff, and and it resonated with me because trickle down doesn't work. Trickle down, it's never worked. Reagan tried it, and and Thatcher's a little bit of it, but it doesn't work. If you if you tax the riches less, then that money will filter down. It's the old one about the boats in the harbour, Phil. When the when 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 the when when the tide comes in, all the boats rise. Uh uh-uh. uh Some boats ain't rising. Some boats ain't rising. And I was really intrigued what what Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart said. They talked about what about trickle up, because we know that <laughs> what a better word poor people spend because they're going to have to. So let's give money to them and let's get them to boost the economy. To put, put put money into the economy rather than putting it at the top, because nothing is true in what I'm about to say, Phil. The rich are getting richer. Period. If you look at the stats from the last 30, 40 years, it's just astonishing the difference between senior executives in the company and the lowest paid in the country. The company. You know, we're talking about differences of 20, 30, 40 percent. So this trickle down nonsense isn't working. So trickle up. Let's let just put somebody at the bottom to see what happens to it, to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I think the Tories are pretty bankrupt when it comes to ideas. This is a kind of reheated Thatcherism, um, which in 2022 just isn't washing with people. And so I'm interested in how it plays out politically. And I think, you know, Starmer has played a clever game. He, he's being he's been steady he's been sensible and people have criticized him look you're too cautious there's not enough vision and so on but he he's played an astute game he's waited for the tories effectively to destroy themselves and without any huge effort he now finds himself with what i think is a pretty unassailable lead over the tories given the time they got left until the next election so my final question michael is could they finally get rid of Liz Truss? Um, because, you know, she's even more of a liability than Big Dog. In some ways, they've got two years, yeah? And they're between a rock and a hard place. If they get rid of her, they're, seen to, they're going to be in disarray. If they go cap in hand to Johnson, come back again, they're not going to, because the, the, the um, lecture isn't going to thank them for that. I guess the, the, the savior could be Rushi. Could be risky, but then it's yet another U-turn, another U-turn for the for for the Tory party. I think as their problem, they've got to get it sorted. The sad thing is, a lot of people are going to suffer while for the next two years, at least while they sort it out. You know, I'd like to believe Phil that she's not going to last till Christmas. Such will be the infighting within the Tory the Tory ranks that, that this ship is unnavigable. That it's not just hit the rocks, <laughs> not doing rocks. They they've blown holes in the ship themselves. You know, they've wrecked the steering, <laughs> they've they've blown up the radar. You know, and Phil, for me, the sad thing about this, one of the fundamental things about Britain is its constitution. It's unwritten. And it predicates that decent people, fair-minded, open-minded compromising people are in charge. And sadly, Phil, 
that's no longer the case. So we've lost it as, as a country. And the sooner these people are gone, be it in two months or two years, the better. Live in the eye. Our second story this week is about the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine. It seems the stakes have got ever higher because this week, Vladimir Putin wrote into law the fact that he has annexed um, certain regions of Ukraine, representing about 15% of the country. And these are the regions in the east, the long-contested Donbass regions uh, of, of Luhansk and Donetsk, but also down in the south of the country areas that uh, Russia has occupied during the war. And they staged these bogus referendums where uh, people some marched to vote at gunpoint uh, over a weekend. And apparently, that was extraordinary figures, Michael, that, you know, 97, 98% in favour of becoming part of Russia, which I don't think anyone <laughs> objective in the outside world believed. And the, the problem now is that Putin says, well, they're forever part of Russia. And he will defend them and take whatever it you know means the necessary. And some people take that to be a, a nuclear threat. Meanwhile, the Ukrainians, since the annexation, have actually been making very rapid advances. And they're kind of forcing Putin into a position where he might feel quite humiliated. And given his personality type, that's not a good combination. He's a very angry and vengeful kind of man, isn't he? Very much so, very much so. Uh, you know, and some people say he's mad. Some people say he's irrational. Some people say he's emotional. We don't, who knows the mind of Putin? Who knows the mind of Putin? And this is, this is madness. The fact that he's now got less ground than he had when he started this campaign seven months ago. Less territory. He's been driven back. His, his, his armies be found to be incompetent to the point of being useless. And yet he's still selling this story. We're annexing, we're sorting out, you know, we have a, it'll be ours forever and ever. It's fantasy. But people are believing this in Russia. I'm, 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 there's, a, there's a fair substantial number of people who don't believe it. Those are being conscripted, those are fleeing the country and blocking up the borders they try to escape. But there are still, there are some who believe him, Phil, who believe that he's making he's making Russia great. If I parody another um, another dubious phrase. Well, yeah, I mean he was great uh, great mates with Donald Trump, of course. Um, to well, I mean as far as anyone can be great mates with Putin, the two seem to have some kind of relationship with each other, didn't they? And um, uh, and um, you're absolutely right that he he thrives on that kind of nationalistic fervor, that this is a kind of uh, mission uh, of, to create a greater Russia, to recapture what was lost in the days of the Soviet Union. And it's quite interesting because Putin used to be a, a spy for the old KGB, uh, what's now the FSB, used to be a spy. And he was there in East Germany when the Berlin Wall came down. And then he came back to the Soviet Union, saw that system collapse. His whole world had been built around that old Soviet system. And he's never really forgiven. He's never forgotten. Mm. He, wants to, he, he wants to to rebuild it. And the world is saying no. And the Ukrainians are very bravely saying no with their, you know, putting their lives on the line. But, but the, world, the world has moved on. The Russia, the USSR that he's talking about was a transient thing. It was a fabrication. 
-hmm. built on brutality. He had no, he had no economic basis. He had no cap capitalistic basis. It was just, it was a fabrication that was that was waiting to fall apart, and it did fall apart. And he's he's one of a few. I was going to say white men. That's not, that's not the right word there, Phil. But a few men who, who who long for an idea of Russia, just as some 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 Americans long for an idea of America. It's not there equally. There's the, there's a far right in uh, across Europe. There's ideal an idealized past when their country was great. It was never the case, and it won't be the case again. The world has moved on. This is the 21st century with, with dare I say, regrettably, mobile phones, the internet, and and Twitter, which makes the way we talk, communicate, and act with each other is very different. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, he's so old school. I'm sorry, he's, he's just a throwback, a throwback to how it used to be. And and, and that, that that statement, that paraphrase, and some say, make America great again. That was then. This is now. But that was then. This we've moved on. I, I, I'm going to raise the question, which I know you don't want to talk about, Michael. I'm going to raise it anyway. You know, Putin. The one thing that he does have is the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world, and you know, he is the kind of guy that you couldn't rule out maybe exploding a nuclear test, uh, uh, you know, conducting a nuclear test uh, near to Ukraine even conceivably using a tactical nuclear weapon as part of the battle. At that stage, I mean, how would we respond? How could we respond? Phil, you know, tactical nuclear, that's an oxymoron. Yeah. It's not, in what sense, tactical? Well, if I do this, then he'll do that. Well, well General Petraeus, oh, he, retired, he retired now. He was, he, was in the, he was in the New York Times talking about what would happen. America would destroy the whole of milit of 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 the USS of USS. Oh, forgive me, of Russia's military assets. It would be completely denuded. There'd be none, and they'd have no infrastructure to to, to 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 fight a nuclear war. It would be gone. So this idea that I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a little a little nuclear bomb if there's such a thing, and see what happens. Well, you'll be destroyed. You'll be annihilated. You'll be wiped out. Your military will be gone. You know, I sound a bit emotional about this, Phil, but, but it is, it, it, you know, it, I, I do feel it because it, it's just madness that we, that we reduce this kind of conversation in the 21st century. It's all because of one man's ego that, that we have to explore the idea of using nuclear weapons. But I think he's, he, and he knows if he uses one, then, then he's gone. So that, that that breaks the question. And if you use one, then why, why doesn't he use the big one? Then get over with. That's my concern, Phil. So this idea of tactical is nonsense. You know, you can't. It, it's. Uh, it, I would argue it's all or nothing. And then you're going to say, would would his would his generals allow him to do that, knowing the consequences? And then we're into unknown territory. We are unknown territory that we'll no doubt have to return to in due course. But for now, we'll move on to story number three. Five in the eye. So Bloomberg were reporting this week, Michael, that um, passports from Japan, South Korea and Singapore are the most useful. They open the most doors. And to British ears, this is anathema, isn't it? Because we, we've always thought that 
her majesty's passport now exactly his, yeah. his majesty's passport was was surely to goodness the thing that was most i feel like we should have, a, 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 we should have a, a, a few a few bars of god save the king <laughs> kind of underline that fact the way Stand back, I'm coming forward with my British passport. Let me in, my fine fellow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what's the words on the passport? You know, her, her Britannic Majesty requires and commands you to let. Request without let or hindrance. Without let or hindrance. Less of your let and none of your hindrance. I'm yeah. coming in. But, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we, we rate. Um, we, we we rate passports by maybe the number of different places where they're happily accepted uh, with minimal restrictions, and that's fair enough. But I mean, different passports might serve different purposes in, on, on on separate occasions. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have an Irish passport and a British passport, as you know, Michael. And could it be? No, that, no I, I, regrettably, I do. Regrettably, passport might be preferable. If I went to certain locations, and the British passport might be preferable for others. <laughs> but, well, you know my views on dual passports. You know, when, 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 when Ireland goes to war with with, with England, where, where do you go? Okay, you need to decide this now. I would, your passport. I, I would. I would be the peace broker, Michael. As you know, <laughs> I'm sure that you got your name down there in the, in the respective embassies to to be consulted. You know, I find this whole this whole passport thing very revealing in terms of it's all about potential threats. You know, in terms of is this country a threat to me? Are these people likely to to harm me? Are these people likely to always stay there welcome? You know, there's a question mark. And you know, with respect to Japan, nobody has a a, a bad word to say about them. You can send me somebody with career. And then Singapore. When you come to someone like Nigeria, where there's a lot of baggage in terms of mm, these people, they, 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 we believe they're criminals. We believe they're going to own their state of We believe they're Jewish people. They, they come with all this, this so-called baggage that their country has a reputation. Uh, and it, it seems sad that you, you cannot get, some countries can't get rid of that, repu that, that reputation. Mm -hmm. The world says this is who you are. There's a lot of racism it. tied up with that, though, surely, isn't there? Um, you know, Very, the judgments about countries and perceptions of African countries and so on may be completely out of kilter with with what reality is on the ground. But um, people harbour prejudices. Very much so. Far. And, and the thing I like about this list is you can you can see those prejudices in action. Because guess, well, Nigeria needs a, part, uh, a visa for um, England or Britain. Do you think Britain needs a visa for Nigeria? Probably not. I don't know. Do the of Nigeria course they do. The same with Ghana. All this. Whereas Britain has actively, you know, sought, sought, uh, sought visas and visas at no little expense. 
you know, these visas aren't cheap, you know, to, to apply for a visa, and it's time and money. So it, it just seems, it's almost like a little silent diplomatic war to play. It's, uh, I'm gonna, um, you, yeah, you, you can come to my country, no problem, but you can get a visa. That, 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 that'll be 200 quid, and it'll take two weeks to get. You're reminded, you're reminding me once again of my trip to Romania in the 1990s when I arrived in Bucharest, and you had to purchase a visa at the airport when you arrived. Um, and um, they, they told you it cost 23 quid and you handed the money over and they gave you a receipt for 22 quid. Um, it was a nice, it was obviously a nice little learner for the people on the on the gates. It was all made up as they go along. You know, it, it, you're right, in some countries it, 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 it is a business, but also it's, it's a political statement about how I feel about your country or equally how I think your country feels about me. You know, so it's fascinating the number of the, uh, countries like Senegal. Is is, is one for you, Phil? Uh, do I need a visa to get to Senegal with my British passport? You, uh, I don't know why you consider me being an expert on visa regulations around. <laughs> you're gonna, if I got it wrong with Nigeria, you're going to tell me I, I'm wrong again. But I, I suspect no. You can just walk into Senegal, can you? Exactly. Both ways, you can walk in with a Senegal. With a because what that says is, you know what, I like to think about this. It says, your country's nice. You're just visiting us. You're going to leave when your visit's over. And you can be, my, my country's nice and you're happy. We're welcoming you. Whereas those countries where they want visas, or they suspect you're going to overstay your welcome or you're a dubious character. There's, there's so much, you know, in extreme, it's racism in terms of the of these visitors are... Uh, not welcome to the point where you know, look at the very the number the one at the bottom of the pile, Afghan Afghanistan. Mm. Afghanistan needs a visa for almost a hundred and was hundred ninety odd countries. You no, know, hundred ninety odd countries because nobody really wants them to come oh, in. There is a little bit of that issue with the Taliban, isn't there? We have to say um, we can't probably the Taliban, ISIS, Al Qaeda. They're all in. You don't know. You, I know they're, they're going to say they're all different, but, you know, they can get uh, Afghan uh, passports because that guy was living there. The ISIS guy was living there. So presumably get an, a, a passport and suddenly they're in um, New York on the Afghan passport. We're going to have to move on. But one serious question, Michael, which is a throwback to our previous, previous story. We, we've actually, uh, Europe has let a large number of Russians fleeing the draft come across borders into countries like Finland and, and, and so on. Do you think we should let people in if they're crossing from Russia, claiming that they are running away from from Putin's war? Well, the short answer is yes. The long answer is let veterans have a chat with them and let's see who they are. You know, let, let us try and work with them. You know, because I don't believe every, you know, we should castigate all Russians and put them in the same box. You know, but, you know, we, we've got we've got ways of interrogating people. We should we should exercise those methods and see. So no, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not that hard. I'm not I'm not going to be that hard. If people want to, you know, we, we can if we do our due diligence on them, so to speak, then 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 we can decide. But not just ad hoc. No Russians. That's that's a bit hard. That that's a bit hard. Five in the eye. Story number four this week is about NFTs, non-fungible tokens. These are tokens which you can't reproduce. They are unique. This is it. This is the only one. And it's an NFT. 
That's what it's all about. And they, and they were a big hit a couple of, well, 18 months ago. This, this is a way for artists to sell their versions of their work online. Extraordinary profits. There's one, the, the one was sold for 69 million. And what's fascinating, and the thing I noticed this kind of confuses you, Phil, the fact that the, the real world object exists in its own right. And then its NFT exists, and its NFT as a value different from its, uh, its the real object. And the fact that it, 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 you own it digitally is part of the, the, uh, the part of the, the object's provenance. And you own that thing. So the, that's the, all the, the provenance of NFTs. The, the provenance is proved by this technology called blockchain, isn't it? Which, which is the same thing on which cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum are based. It's a, it's, it's, it's exactly, it's, it's, exactly. It's supposed to be an incredibly secure kind of system in theory, isn't it? But, but in, in, in practice, it's, it's secure. The fact that, that, that it's, it's a ledger. Everybody has not just one person owns the ledger, you know, the record, but several people own the record, or you all own the record. So, if someone changed the record, we'll have to agree the record's been changed. And so, the, then tell us about this rather bizarre stunt, Michael, that that, that happened. There's this, this guy, he's bought um, uh, a Frida Kahlo um, drawing valued at 10 million. Frida Kahlo was uh. Well, we call her feminist now. She wasn't a feminist, but she was actually a woman in her own rights. And she was a very, uh, I'm going to use the word opinionated, but that, 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 that's not the right word I'm looking for. I'm looking for, she was a woman who, who understood herself. I want to explain her circumstance, how she lived in the world as, 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 a, as, a, as a woman and as a human being. A wonderful artist, a great use of colour and form. And she had a drawing, here's a drawing of hers worth, uh, well, he says it's worth, we bought, it's supposed to be worth 10 million. And she's still, she's a much sought after artist, a celebrated artist in her own right. So that, that you won't believe the, the work working, working with 10 million. Then he threw a party, and there's, there's a bizarre video of this party. Let, let, let's just go back to stage. This, this guy who's into crypto and what have you, he owns this $10 million yeah. picture. And, uh, and then he decides at the party, he's going to set fire to it. Well, I, I was coming to that, Phil. That's why that, that was, I was setting myself up. Okay. I was just going was, back on stage to, 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 to fill our listeners in on the fact that... Well, I, I was going to... Am, am I allowed to continue now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. Okay. 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 So this bizarre video, you can see it online. We'll put it... It's in, it's in the... Um, it's, it's on the Facebook page there. And he but supposedly... Now, we're not quite sure... You know, the, the the art magazine, art newspaper, did a breakdown of it, and they were not quite sure. Did he actually burn this thing? But anyway, for all intents and purposes, it looks as though it's been burnt. So what does that mean? There's NFTs online now. There's NFT versions of it are worth more. So suddenly, there's NFT version. I think it's got 10 of them out there. Just to clarify, Michael, the NFT version of it is basically like a digital file of the picture. It's a copy of it, yeah, exactly. You can own one of the, whatever, a limited number. There'll be many people listening who say, like, hold on a second, how could a digital copy of a picture be worth more than the original picture? That makes no sense at all, does it? Well, when it makes no sense, 
It is, it is the only, it's one of four, or one of, I'm just going to get the exact number, it's one of a limited number of digital versions. There aren't any, that's it. So you're talking about a limited asset, not something that's going to be reproduced and infinite. And it's in that rarity, that exclusivity that you're, you're buying into. But you that, own that this right. This is a picture that if I wanted to see, I could Google on Google Images and I could look at the same picture, couldn't I? I don't need to own it. I can still look at the thing. I know what it looks like. I can look at the colour. I can look at the form that you were talking about before. I can celebrate Carlo's work without spending countless millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure exactly. But it's a bit like the movie. Going to if you go if you go to see a movie, you can watch a movie. Yeah, but you don't own that movie. Mm. You know, somebody else owns the movie. You, you, you're just watching it. But NFTs give you the right to you own that thing, you own a version of it, and you may want, may or may not want to let people see it. It's your version of it, and it's in that ownership that 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 that, that, that creates its its uh, its uniqueness, its non fungible token asset. Now I must admit, I don't find, I find it hard to come to terms with Phil, this because for me it's this idea of negotiating from the physical thing you can touch and feel into the abstract and digital, which is something on the screen, which isn't real. But it exists, Phil. It, it's, it's there because it's in your head. Not only 10 million pounds, thank you. Five in the eye. Our final story this week to wrap up the show about is about two gentlemen in Ohio. They're called Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky. Um, and they were hoping to come first in the Lake Erie Walleye Trail Tournament. This is a fishing tournament in Cleveland. Um, the prize money is pretty good. You can, if you get uh, the biggest, heaviest catch of the of the tournament, you can walk away with thirty thousand dollars or about twenty six thousand quid. But these guys were disqualified, Michael, because hidden in the fish that they claimed to have caught were lead weights, uh, which meant that when they came to be weighed, they outperformed the other um, anglers. Um, extraordinary length. I mean, I suppose maybe you could say, well, any situation where 30 grand's at stake, maybe there's always going to be people prepared to cheat. But have you ever heard of anything like this? The the, the cutthroat world of fishing and the lead weights in the, in the catch? No, no, no. There was always some kind of, Honor among fishermen, so the unwritten honor. I was, I was shocked to see the video I saw on TikTok, and there were huge lead weights. And apparently, these guys have not have done it before. And it kind of, kind of, it saddens you know, it saddens me a little. They think, well, the, these guys have done it before, but perhaps other people have done it before. So those winning weights, pun on ten, pun intended, are they real? Oh, they real as winning weights. You know, I guess, guess the lens people go to win. There was another story this week. I don't think you saw it, Bill, about the chess champion who's withdrawn. Yeah, apparently because allegations that allegations that he's cheated over a very long period of time. Maybe a hundred games have been um, exactly, and, and they've and they've reviewed them, and they and chess.com have kicked them off because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you know, the results aren't aren't right. And they're talking about, wait for it, can I say this on um, public radio? Vibrating anal balls. 
the, that he's using these vibrating balls in his bottom to guide him on the next move. Do you know, I, I was, I'm thinking... The, the lengths you know, people will the go lengths, to in a game of chess, <laughs> Michael, are just uh, astounding. I guess it's, I guess it's up there with the, the, those, uh, that $30,000 for those two fishermen. The game was worth the candle. Or the game was worth the, the, the balls in the bottom. To speak, why is this man smiling? <laughs> is it those vibrating balls again? Well, all, you know, all I can say is, I, if, if you're listening, if you're listening right now, I hope you're not having a late breakfast because I'll just probably put you right off it. But you know, Phil, you know, when there's money at stake, when there's big money at stake, it, you know, it's it's surprising how far people will go. Live in the eye. Well, we're packing our fishing tackle and tents. But with no no anal vibrating balls, I'm happy to say. And we're heading for the hills right now. We hope you've enjoyed this week's Five in the Eye. I'm away on holiday next week. But Phil has a very special guest lined up. That's right, yes. I'm looking forward to um, our South African Bureau Chief, Temba Robin Behrens, joining us from Johannesburg to give us his unique perspective on the week's news. I very much hope you can join us too. For now, in London, I'm Phil Woodford, wishing you well over the coming days. Wow, I'll be looking forward to the word from Johannesburg. That'd be excellent. So, in the meantime, this is me, Michael Ahudjur, saying, if you have been, thanks for listening. That's episode 0378, over and out. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?